Hello, church. My name is Esther, and we will now be reading today's passage from Matthew 16, 13 to 20. Please follow along in your own Bible or the screen. Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Why, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the reading of God's word. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to True North Church. For those that are new or visiting, my name is Jam, the lead pastor here, and I'm excited and privileged to be able to share with you uh, God's word today. Um, now, I don't have a lot of memories of growing up in Korea uh, since I was only... I only lived there about six years, but uh, the, you know, the majority of my memories takes place on the playground in front of our apartment complex. So where I lived, there was an apartment that I lived in on the eighth floor, and across the street was another apartment, and in the middle was the parking lot, and right there was also the playground. So majority of my memories, uh, I don't remember any of the faces or the names of any of these kids that I played with, but I would play there every day, and so you know, one of the memories I have is this one kid pinching me on the slide as I was going down, and I only remember it because my mom has a picture of that kid pinching me and me crying. And like, parents haven't changed in like four decades, right? We, we still love taking pictures of our kids getting hurt. Um, but there was, you know, another memory I have is the first time I was able to make a snowman by myself. You know, it was a big accomplishment. Once I realized if you roll it on the snow, it kind of keeps like, you know, forming. And, and I remember that. I remember another memory of one of my, uh, you know, neighborhood kids riding a bike without training wheels. And I thought that was the most astonishing accomplishment ever, right? He was like the first kid without training wheels. And, uh, you know, I never learned uh, in Korea anyways. But, um, and, but one of the memories that really sticks out to me is this one time, um, you know, the, the kids and the other neighborhood kids, they came up to me and, and were just talking. I don't know what prompted the conversation, uh, but he was like, you know, I believe in God and I go to church. And at that point, uh, I had never even heard the word church in my life before because we didn't go to church. I was like, what, what is that? And they're like, you know, we believe in God. And I was like, and then this other kid was like, well, I believe in Buddha. And I was like, oh, me too. Because, you know, I remember going to Buddhist temples. I was like, I believe in Buddha. And it was kind of like a, a rivalry. And then, uh, you know, I asked him, I was like, well, what is church? And, and you know, my vague memory was just like, oh, it's a place we go to learn about God and we sing songs. And, and I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of interesting. And, but that was, that was it. And, and now I think even four decades later, um, I, I, it's important for me and even for us to even ask that question now. Well, what, what is church? What, what is the definition of church? Right? What, what, what is the church encompass? What is, it, what is the essence of the church? And in this day and age where it has become abundantly clear that we are now living in a, a post-Christian culture, uh, it's become even more important for us to be able to clearly define what church is and what it is not. Right? If you grew up as a Christian in the, in the 80s or 90s or 2000s, church was a self-evident phenomenon. 
it didn't require a definition because you, you, you went to church because it exists and the church existed because you went. Uh, but now at the beginning of, you know, just the question that we have to ask ourselves is well, what, what is the church and why do we even need it in our lives? During the pandemic, many people asked this question and they decided, you know what, church is something that they don't need to go, go to anymore, right? So a lot of people decided that church was no longer for them. The opposite end of the spectrum was also that people who were maybe in isolation and maybe pondering, well, what is the, the spiritual reality or what is, what is my spiritual condition or well, what is, why do I feel so alone, decided, you know what, I, maybe I need to seek out uh, a spiritual community. Maybe I do need to seek out uh, answers about uh, what is the meaning of life and what is this world about, right? And in a time where truth is no longer absolute, and where individuals, we have the power and authority to define things for ourselves, it has become imperative for us to have a clear understanding of what church is and the purpose of church. Why does God command us to gather? Why does God put together a collection of imperfect and broken people to represent him to the rest of the world? What is the purpose of coming together in unity to worship and serve? Right? And in the next three weeks, we hope to answer some of these questions and more as we will really tackle the topic of ecclesiology or, or the study of church. And today we're going to talk about, well, what is, the, uh, what is ecclesiology? What is the ecclesia? How do we understand the church? Next, we're going to talk about, well, what are the problems of an imperfect community? And lastly, we're going to look at the purpose of the church. So for the first point, to understand ecclesia, now I'm, I'm using a very, uh, uh, you know, big word that you guys probably have never heard of, or maybe even, you know, just sounds weird, right? Um, but imagine with me that you are in a context like I was 40 years ago, and you didn't have to worry about getting canceled, you didn't have to worry about getting report to HR, uh, you didn't have to worry about, like, people thinking that you're weird, but if someone came to you, whether it's at work or your neighbor or someone just in your social network, if they came up to you and asked you, well, what is church? How would you define it? How would you explain it to somebody who is genuinely curious to understand and to know what the definition of church is? Most would define it as a place of worship, a place where worshipers gather to praise God for who he is and what he has done. Others will define it as a community for encouragement and support. Some might define it as a place of learning and growing. And all those answers are correct in a way because that is often what takes places in churches. But I would argue that the correct definition of, uh, definition of church is not just what we do, but it is the very essence of what church is. What often happens is that we describe or define church based on what it does, not on what it is. So there has to be a distinction between what the church does and what the church is. And, and it is important for us to understand and define what the church is the essence of church in order for us to correctly and biblically understand how to go about serving the purpose of church in our lives. So in other words, understanding and defining what church is will correctly guide us to what the church does, not the other way around. Now, the reason why we read this passage here in Matthew is that the word church is first used by Jesus in Matthew chapter 16. And the word church is used only two times in the Gospels, and both times it's in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16 here, Matthew chapter 18. The word church is not used until later by Apostle Paul and the other epistle writers later on in the New Testament. And this word church uh, is the word ecclesia. Now, oftentimes we ask ourselves, what, where does the word church come from? It, it comes from the German word kirche, and that German word is associated with the Greek word kurion, which means belonging to the Lord. 
But here in Matthew chapter 16 and in other parts of the New Testament, whenever the word you see is church, it's the Greek word ecclesia, not kyrion. And the word ecclesia literally means to be called out. To be called out. So now what this means is oftentimes when we think about the word church, what are we actually describing? What are we actually defining? Because when Jesus talks about the church, that the gates of hell would never overcome the church, he's not talking about an organization. He's not talking about a local church. Because we've seen organizations and local churches close its doors. We've seen local churches fail. We've seen local churches, you know, you know de decide to go in, in the direction of unorthodoxy and, and you, know, you know, let go of orthodox theology. So what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the ecclesia, the ones that are called out. He's talking about you and me. If you are a true believer, then we are the church. When the gates of hell can no longer, cannot overcome the church, Jesus is referring to our individual salvation and us as a collective body as the universal church. He's not talking about an organization or an institution. But the error is that oftentimes... When we talk about the church, we kind of jumble it all together into one category. And I think that's a, an error and a mistake that we often make in our lives. Now, uh, as a pastor, uh, something that often happens to me is that I'll get random messages from people and they'll want to talk and they'll want like my advice. Uh, the first time I noticed this was my first year in seminary. I was 23 years old and, and an old high school friend that I haven't talked to in five years messaged me. I don't even know how he messaged me. Maybe it was a, a text message, right? Uh, and then he's like, hey, can we talk? And I was like, sure. And I was like, I thought he just wanted to, you know, catch up and, you know, talk about good times. And then he started just, like, venting and pouring his heart out to me because he had just broken up with his girlfriend, uh, you know, of, like, five years. And I was like, what, what is this? What, I don't care, you know? Like, like why, why are you telling me this, right? And, and, and the more I, I started, you know, I was in pastoral ministry, I realized, oh, um, people want that. They want to do that to me. They, they want to like vent to me and, and seek spiritual guidance. And I was like, oh, did I, is this what I signed up for? You know, like I thought I just signed up to like talk in front of people, you know, and then go home. But it, that's what happens. And oftentimes, even now, what happens is that people will message me. And oftentimes it's people that I've had encounters with as a retreat speaker or in a campus ministry, or perhaps they're at my church previously or, or a long time ago or whatnot. And they'll message me and they'll talk, want to talk about um, some of the frustrations that they're experiencing. So it's, it's this common story. Uh, someone who grew up in the church was the youth group pastor or president. You know, they were, they were the, uh, the founding member of their Bible club at school. They were the worship leader in college. They were small group leaders. They were heavily involved in church. And all of a sudden, uh, they just seemed, you know, totally disenfranchised and, and frustrated with the church. And they want to just talk to me about it, right? And, and you know, they'll kind of, you know, vent and be like, you know what, hey, uh, why is it that the church... Um, doesn't actually, you know, reach out to their community. And I'm like, I don't know, you know. And, and the more I thought about it, I was like, wait a second. What, what do you mean by the church not reaching out to the community? And, I, and the more I dig, I realize, oh, he's talking about his own local church. They don't have a certain programs that he might not be, uh, that he would want to see. And then he'll start speaking and say, oh, the church, they're, they're just so hypocritical, right? Uh, and I'm like, oh, well, what do you mean? Like your local church? How is an organization hypocritical? And the more I dig, I realize, oh, he means like, like specific people in his, in his life that are being hypocritical. 
And he'll be like, you know what, and, and with politics, why are, you know, Christians like this and this? And, and I realize, oh, wait a second, you're talking about the, the church as a large institution, right? The evangelical institution. And, and so the, the more and more I have these conversations, I realize, oh, the, the, the issue is that many of us as Christians, we have not learned the, the, the important thing of making categories of what we mean by the church, because I see three main categories here. Number one, I see the church as a political and institutional uh, thing that exists in America, right? Oftentimes when we're talking about uh, politics, we're talking about, oh, the church is like this or the church is like that or how can the church support this? We're talking about kind of this institution that exists in evangelical Christianity and, and that's what we're frustrated at. Or when we say, hey, how come the church doesn't have more Bible studies or prayer meetings or, or you know, the, the community is weird? They're talking about the local church. But oftentimes, when we see scripture, the point of the church that Jesus is speaking about is talking about the ecclesia, the ones that are called out, people like you and me. If you are true believers in Christ, then you are the church. And I think this understanding is very important for us to be able to distinguish so that when we have these feelings of frustrations or criticisms or even joy, we have to be able to correctly categorize what are we actually talking about. And for you, if you have conversations with people who might have these feelings of frustrations, this will help you guide them in maybe making sure that they are able to distinguish and define what it is that they're actually referring to. And I realize that one of the reasons why so many of us get frustrated with the church is because we don't know how to categorize it ourselves. We don't know exactly what we're pointing to. We don't know exactly what we're referring to when we say the church. And this is very evident and this is true because of the fact that we are a collection of imperfect, flawed human beings brought together to be in community with one another. And that leads us to our second point. There are, there are problems there will always be problems in an imperfect community. The unfortunate reality about being part of a church, and what I mean by the church is the local church, is that there will be issues and problems because the church community is made up of imperfect and flawed human beings. There's no such thing as a perfect church. The easiest way to ruin a perfect church, just go start attending it. Okay? That's the reality, right? You start attending a church, ruin that perfect church. The majority of the frustration and issues that we have with the church is in reference to the church as an organization. Now, earlier on uh, in the fall, we went over our core values of, of the church, and I think that's very important for us to distinguish what is us as an organization, what do we value, what are we striving after? Now, oftentimes when I talk about the church, I'm referring to the body of believers. But the reality is, is that as the body of believers, we are imperfect and filled with sin. That as we come together, the organization will have its faults, naturally. Right? And the majority of the complaints and issues that people raise about church usually deals with a lack of certain programs or with the execution of those programs. Or to go deeper, maybe perhaps the culture that exists within individual local churches. For example, people might be frustrated about the lack of growth in the education ministry or the youth ministry. Others might not like the way community groups are operated. Some might bring issues up about prayers, uh, Bible studies and prayer meetings. Some might have issues with the style of worship or the choice of music. 
And others might even think about, well, what are, what's going on with our finances and operations or, or a lack of newcomer pipeline? All these things are legit criticisms and legit things for us to worry about, but that is not the main purpose of why we exist, right? Jesus doesn't say, go therefore and make the perfect local church with no problems. No, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. And yet the majority of our energy is spent thinking about how can we make an organization better? And I think the reason why is this. Now, um, any big Lord of the Ring fans here? I'm going to guess all of you guys are. You guys are here in the Silicon Valley. You guys are probably all like diehard fans, right? Um, I, I enjoy it. I'm not a big fan, but I enjoy it. Uh, but I saw this interpretation recently uh, online, and this woman was explaining um, the, the Lord of the Rings, and I thought it was amazing. Uh, she said this. Um, she said, uh, the eye of Sauron is a symbol of something that always looks outward but kept, can never look inward. Okay, the eye of Sauron. If you guys ever watched it, if you've never watched the movie, the eye of Sauron is just big, this big tower in its eye, and it's just always looking out. Okay? It can never look at, it's always looking out, can never look inward. And the entire story of the Lord of the Rings is, that, is to take the evil power which was created back to itself. And once you do so, then the evil is destroyed. And if you think about a ring, what does the ring represent? It represents an eye of sorts, right? A ring is kind of looks like an eye. And once Frodo, was it Frodo? Bilbo, Frodo, and, and Samwise Gamgee, once they take the ring back to Mount Doom and throw the ring into the lava, and the ring is now back within itself, now the evil is destroyed. So the relationship between the eye and evil is that it cannot or it refuses to look inwardly. It's always desiring to look outwardly. And the problem and issues oftentimes that we have in the local church is that the local church and its problems is an opportunity for us, the church, to look inwardly at our own faults and our own shortcomings. But instead, we stop short from looking inwardly and we only look outwardly. And we always think, once we can solve that problem outside of us, then things should be better. We never look inward. Now, I, I've been very frank about some of the uh, you know, issues of burnout that I've been having lately. And, and if during that time, at the, at the depth of my burnout, the, my only solution was like, hey, once I figure out all the issues of what's going on in our church, in our organization, and I can set up all the things going well, and like everything should be okay. Then everything should be good. Again, I was fooling myself into thinking that the problems are all outside of me and never inside. And I think when we do this, we are also ignoring the reality that the church organization that you are a member of, that you are a part of, the, the flaws and the imperfections that arise are a projection of our own flaws and sins and shortcomings. And if we're only going to think outwardly and say we need to fix that and everything will be okay, but never think internally and, in reflection and reflect upon our own shortcomings, then we'll never grow and we'll never learn. That is the number one issue and problem that we have of an imperfect community. The church as an organization becomes an easy scapegoat for our own issues and our own problems. And we're able to project that upon it 
because it's an inanimate being, right? Now, the second problem is that the church as an organization is also an easy scapegoat for us when things are not going right in our lives. Now, when we have a correct understanding that the local church is a representation and projection of the church, us, then the only way to grow and mature is for each of us to look inwardly at our own shortcomings and our own faults. But oftentimes, instead, what we do is we pinpoint the issues and faults that exist in an organization. Now, think about how um, interesting that, that issue is, right? Like, in heaven, there's going to be no local churches, right? No one's going to look at us and be like, oh, you guys were part of, like, we're not going to be the true North gang up in heaven. They'll be like, yo, what's up, you know? Like, no, it's, we're all going to be one universal church. But oftentimes what I've noticed is that the people who get the most frustrated or disappointed with the church as an organization are the ones that are seeking unrealistic and unbiblical expectations from that organization. Now, I can be a pretty impulsive person, and my impulses can be seen when I'm super hungry. Pastor Eugene spoke about last week how he doesn't get hangry. I get very hangry. I get very hangry. And, um, and not only that, but I get obsessed with certain things. So one, this one particular week, I really wanted mapu tofu. If you guys don't know what mapu tofu is, it's delicious. And if you get the real, like, I can't even pronounce it right. Sorry, my Chinese-American friends. Szechuan. Did I say it right? The Szechuan one right? It has like the peppercorns and it makes your mouth numb. I love it, right? Um, first time I had it, I thought I was having an allergic reaction because my mouth was numb, but then my friend was like, no, no, that's the way it's supposed to be. And I was like, oh, this is amazing, right? Uh, so I really want a mapu tofu, and, but, but somebody, I'm not going to mention their name. Someone said, no, I don't want mapu tofu, right? And I was like, no, I really want mapu tofu. Let's get my, she's like, no, she or he was like, no, I don't want mapu tofu, right? So guess what? I didn't eat mapu tofu, right? But that whole week, like, that's all I could think about. And so one day, I, I didn't eat breakfast. I, I worked out, and I was so hungry. And I was like, this is the day that I'm going to order mapu tofu. So I was sitting in my car, looking through DoorDash, and I'm like, which, which place do I order mapu tofu from? Because I don't want to get, like, bunk mapu tofu. I don't want to get, like, fake mapu tofu, mapu tofu, right? I want real mapu tofu. I was looking. I was looking at all the reviews, and then I was like, oh, it's going to take 45 minutes for it to be delivered. So I was like, forget it. I'm just going to go someplace. So I, I went to a place, I sat down, and once I opened the, uh, the menu, I was like, oh my goodness, I can't just order mapu tofu. Because, you know, a, a Chinese restaurant, it's family style, right? Like, and if you just order one dish, it's like too much of the same thing. So I was like, I got I to gotta mix it up a little bit. So I was like, okay, I got to get the beef noodle soup as well. Um, I, I got, and, you know, if they have, you know, soup dumplings, I got to get the XLBs, right? So I ordered some XLBs. Uh, I was getting, and you got to have scallion pancakes too, right? You got to have scallion. I ordered scallion. And, and, the, and the server there was like, for one? And I was like, yes, for one. And, and she's like, no, 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 that's too much food. Now, it, you know you're at a good Asian restaurant if the server is going to argue with you, right, and tell you what to order. So I was like, I'm at the right place. I was like, no, no, no I can eat it. It's fine. It's fine. And I was like, so I ordered all that. And she's like, are you sure? I'm, and she was like laughing at me, like, tell you, no, you can't. I don't know. You know, I was like, dude, I can eat it. I can eat it. So I or and, and these are family portions. You know what I mean? Like, these are meant to be shared. Um, so all that food came out. The first couple bites were so good, right? But after a while, I was like, wait a second. What have I done? This is... Way too much oil and MSG and spices just for one person. You know, and I'm like, like 40, 43 years old now. You know, I can't handle all that food. And so I had to like, you know, you know very ashamedly ask for a to-go box. And she started laughing at me, right? And I, for sure, as I was leaving, 
they were, they were talking smack about me and they were laughing about me. But that's how I knew I, I got to go back there again. That's a good restaurant. Uh, but I, after that, I was left completely unsatisfied. I was bloated. I, I, I regretted my decisions. I, I, felt, I felt sluggish and gross and like my whole day was ruined. Uh, nothing about that meal satisfied my hunger. You know, and you know, they say, don't go to the grocery store when you're hungry. Same thing, don't go to a Chinese restaurant when you're hungry. You're gonna order way too much. Now, the reason why I bring this up is this. Oftentimes, those that are most frustrated within the local church are the ones that spiritually are the most hungry in their lives because they are not finding fulfillment, whether it's in their careers or their families or their children or their relationships. And when you're that hungry for something, and you go to the wrong source for satisfaction, you will always be unsatisfied. If I had just eaten a balanced diet, if I had just eaten breakfast, if I had just uh, made myself not put all of my hopes and dreams into that one meal to satisfy me, I might have had a good meal. I might have had a very balanced meal. I might have just went to a place that has a small portion of mapo tofu and order a bowl of fried rice with it or something. I don't know. But because I was so set on thinking that this Chinese restaurant and the food here will provide satisfaction for my deep longing and hunger that I will be satisfied, and it wasn't the case. And in an imperfect community like ours, if you find yourself deeply frustrated and deeply disappointed with your local church, it's time for you to look inward and think, what is it that I am trying to satisfy that only God can? Not an organization, not a program, not, not a vision. Now, in order for us, I think, to correctly think about what is then the purpose of the church, uh, we have to kind of make this distinction and distinguish between the local church, the ecclesia, and the large institution that we see as the church. Now, for us, the purpose of the church, I'm just going to list four things, but I'm going to mainly talk about one of them. It's this, worship, evangelism, service, and community. That's the purpose of the church. So then what is the purpose of the local church? The purpose of the local church is to help support the ecclesia, the ones that are called out, to be a tool and a support so that we can merge our hearts together for those four purposes. So now when we think about worship, the role of the church as an organization, the local church, is to thoughtfully and faithfully prepare an environment where the gospel can be proclaimed, heard, while providing avenues for people to open their hearts to come into the presence of God. The church is not a church if the gospel is not at the center of its message. We prepare sermons and sermon series founded upon the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We sing songs that have to do with the truth of who God is and what he has done for us. And our worship services is set up in a way where there is an active back and forth with God. I don't know if you guys have noticed, right? We have the call to worship. God calls us into worship. And then we respond in songs, uh, the songs that we sing. Then God calls us to confession. Then we respond with our confessions. Then, then, then God speaks to us 
the word of God, and then we respond in reflection, and then God gives us the benediction so that we can go out for the rest of the week into our lives, right? It's a, it's a back and forth. It's a relationship. The church as an organization, all we can do is set up and prepare to the best of our ability for that worship to manifest within the hearts of individuals. It is up to individual ecclesia church members to worship. You can lead an animal to water, but you can't force it to drink. And yet, what is the mentality that we often have about worship? We go, I don't like this church's worship. Or I like that aspect of worship, but I don't like this aspect of worship. We become consumers, not worshipers. Now, one of the most important experiences that I had in worship, and this is something that I have to remind myself all the time, is that when I was 21 years old, a junior in college, I had the opportunity to go to India for, for, a, uh, for a mission trip. Now, um, I was in India, this is about 23 years ago, um, and you know, we, the missionaries said, hey, we're gonna take you kind of deeper, deeper into a village where there's a church that we support, and we're gonna you know, do your skits and all that stuff there, right? And um, so we drove about three hours kind of deeper into a village in, um, in India, and the person who drove us was a midterm missionary from, from Korea. So he wasn't the main missionary, but he was, he was one of the, you know, like a midterm missionary, and his main job was to be the bus driver. So he, he drove us, his name was um, Ezekiel. He gave himself that name, you know, once he came to India, um, so, which is a very ironic name because you'll see at the end of the story. But we get to there, and then um, we, we see just a, a field that's cleared out and a small building created, you know, made up of cinder blocks. Uh, it's not even painted, nothing. We go in, we take off our shoes, we enter into a place, and, and the flooring was kind of like this. It was concrete floors like this with just a thin rug um, to kind of cover some of the areas where people can sit. We didn't even have chairs, right? Uh, and then people started filing in. All the women sat on one side, all the men on the other. Women had head coverings. On the stage was nothing but one janky speaker and, and one out-of-tune guitar. Uh, everyone came in. They sat down on this hard floor. The missionary looked at all of us and said, hey, make sure you sit up against the wall. I, I was like, well, I have no idea what that means, right? I obviously did not have the opportunity to sit up against the wall. But then the worship started. Uh, uh, three, three women, three men came up. One man was strumming he wasn't playing he was strumming that's all he was doing he was strumming an attitude guitar and, and they sang one song in their native language the same song that repeated about six lines they sang that song for 15 minutes straight and i was just like what is going on and when that song ended i was like praise god hallelujah right and then they proceeded to sing four more songs for about 15 minutes each and then i looked at the missionary and he was just sitting down against the wall sleeping right <laughs> But when I looked at the people, every single one of them were standing and they were clapping, not even two, four beat, one, two, three, four beat, you know, just, and singing for an hour straight. And then a man came up, the pastor came up and he gave a sermon for an hour and 15 minutes. And then after that, they invited us to do our skits and our performances and our songs. And we did that for another hour. That service lasted three hours and 30 minutes from beginning to end and not a single child was sleeping, okay? Probably because, I don't know, their children, they have a lot of energy, but not, not a single adult was sleeping either. They were all worshiping. Why? Can we say, I will be very, very frank, 
our worship service compared to that worship service in terms of like the setup and, and, and professionalism and quality will blow that worship out of the water when you think about it in terms of an eye test of humans, an ear test of humans. But the worship in that service was richer and deeper than any worship that I have ever experienced up to that point in my life. Why? Because it was the ecclesia, the ones that were called out, that worshiped Jesus and God with all of their hearts, minds, and souls. They could have easily said, hey, can we get a better guitar player? Hey, can we get some chairs? Hey, can we think about shortening the service? Can we think about how outsiders will feel if we sing a song for 15 minutes straight? Can we think about how we can kind of organize the children so that they're not a distraction? See, their main concern was not the organization of their community. Their main concern was not about their church, whatever the name was called. They came to worship God because they were called out for this purpose. In that same way, when we think about worship, when we think about evangelism, when we think about service, when we think about community, many of us, our hearts are pointed towards the programs and the things that do or do not exist within an organization, and yet we'll never look inwardly at the fact that perhaps when was the last time we actually worshiped? When was the last time we evangelized? When was the last time we truly lived in community with one another or truly served one another? When we think about this topic of the church, I think it's important for us to start thinking about looking inwardly at ourselves, not so much outwardly at our organization. Now we're going to continue on our service uh, with, with communion. Uh, we have some communion uh, elements set up on the front and the back. Uh, for those that would like real wine, uh, you can get some at the front here. For those that would like juice, we have the, uh, the communion elements in the back. Um, and I've, I've told this story multiple times now in our, in our, son, in our Lord's Supper celebrations, uh, and I'll tell it again. But when a Hebrew boy wants to marry a Hebrew girl, they will negotiate the bride's price. Sit the girl down in front of the entire family, and the boy will offer up her a cup of wine saying, this is my covenant to you, take and drink. Now, if the girl decides to take that cup and drink, she is saying, I do. Uh, the girl will go off to her home, and the boy will go back to his father's house to build an additional room. Uh, they are not allowed to see each other during this time, but the boy will be able to send his best man to communicate to her on his behalf. At one point, the father will look at him and say, son, you are done building. Go gather your groomsmen Bring the bride, and we will feast. Jesus takes his disciples. He sits them down in a room with a cup of wine and says, this is my covenant to you. Take and drink. I'm going to prepare a room for you at my father's house. There are many rooms. But don't worry, I will not leave you alone, for I will send you my best man, the Holy Spirit, to communicate to you on my behalf. And at some point, God the Father will look at Jesus and say, son, go get your bride the church. 
He will gather up the angels, blow the ram's horn, and he is going to come and get us as his bride. When we take communion, we are not merely doing an act of remembrance, and this is definitely not a funeral. It is a reminder that we have been bought with a price, the price of the blood of Christ to be his bride. So at this time, if you are a believer, if you have been baptized and or confirmed, and if you feel like you are not living in a state of sin, please feel free to come and enjoy these elements.